0: Good morning, so glad that all of you are here, um, especially want to welcome visitors this morning. We know that there are lots of places that you could have went for, to worship this morning and we're so um, honored that you would come here and join our family um, as we worship this morning and we hope that uh, we've made you feel welcome. Um, my wife and I will be in the back um, at the end of service and we hope that you'll come by and introduce yourself um, so that we can uh, put a face with a name. Um, we'd love to get to know you and, uh, and tell you a little bit about our church, And so please stop by and make sure you talk to us for a little bit. Um, wow, I'm already, between the worship um, through music and the shoebox video, I am already primed um, to cry, so you guys are in for a treat this morning. I'm, I'm down there going through the last song, and tears are flowing, and I'm like, i got to get all this cleared up before we get up with kids, because they're going to be like, why is Pastor Brian sad? Um, so I'm like wiping away tears and trying to calm myself. Thankfully, Frank prayed long enough for me to get myself under control. So I appreciate I appreciate that, brother. That's, that's a lifesaver right there. So, uh, so yeah, you guys are primed for something today. Um, the last few weeks we've been talking about, um, just the basics of the church. We've been talking about the foundational aspects of who we are. Um, and this week we're going to change, we're going to shift, um, and and move on from that series and go to a new series. We're going to be focusing in Revelation. Um, it'll be chapter two and chapter three that we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. I won't tell you how many because otherwise you won't come back. Um, but we're going to be looking. If you can listen to this next part, you'll figure it out. We're going to be looking at the seven letters to the seven churches. Um, and so it's an interesting um, it's an interesting set of passages. Because the book of Revelation as a whole um, is somewhat difficult to interpret at times. There are times when you read Revelation you're like, I have no idea what this means or what this says. Um, But these two chapters in particular, chapter 2 and chapter 3, are pretty clear cut. They give us a pretty good picture of what Jesus Christ is saying to these churches. And while there is some symbolism, it's pretty easy to understand and we're able to glean from it some very helpful things. The other thing I like about preaching this set of sermons right now is I'm still relatively new here. I'm still learning who we are as a church. I'm still learning all of you. So I can preach this set of sermons. And if you feel like you've been encouraged, guess what? That's from the Word. If you feel like you've been convicted, guess what? That's from the Word. I have no hidden agenda. I have no um, way of knowing what's going to hit where. Um, I don't know which one of these churches we are, and so you can't blame me. So, um, but I'm looking forward to this sermon series, because in most of the letters, at some point it says, those who can hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Even in the letters, as he's speaking to one church in particular, he is letting the other churches know, this is for you guys as well. And so, we're going to digest some of this, and we're going to go through it, and hopefully, as we go through these letters, you will be encouraged as a church. You will be encouraged as a believer. But you will also have times when God opens your heart and says, See that spot right there? We need to work on that. We need to take some time just to kind of clean that spot up and, and make it a little bit better so that we can do more for the kingdom. So hopefully you've gotten to Revelation chapter 2 by now. We're going to read the first seven verses. And as is our habit here at First Baptist Vandalia, if you would stand to honor the reading of God's word, verse one says, "To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those." Who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you endure and you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you, remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this I have. This you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much as we come before you as a body of believers that you promise us that where we are gathered that you will be there that your spirit will descend, that it will be present. We thank you this morning as we worship you in song, as we worship you through our offering, as others gave worship to you through their talents and gifts, that you have been present here. Father, we pray that as we share, the, share your word, Lord, as we look at it, as we study it, that you would bring it to life in our hearts, Lord, and that we would experience you in a new way. Pray that you would speak to us this morning. Because we are listening. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Thank you for standing. You can have a seat. Make sure to get everything back up here. Um, A little bit about the context. Um, for the city of Ephesus before we dig in. And we'll do this before we do each letter because there's some interesting aspects to the letter if you know what the city is doing and what's going on there. Now, Ephesus, we don't get as much of that, but there's still some pretty, pretty interesting things that we need to be aware of. This city was a large city. It was probably about a quarter of a million people based on most estimates. So it was, there was a lot of people there part of that's because it was a wealthy city. It had a large port. It had roads that led in most directions out from it. So it was a center of wealth. And so people would come for that. It was also a center of religion. Um, it had the Temple of Artemis, which Alexander Great named, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It also had a large Jewish community. It was a center for the occult. And so there was a lot of different religions in this place. And the people of Ephesus were known to be fascinated with magic, with spirituality. And so this church that was planted in Ephesus was constantly under attack from all these different belief systems. They were also under attack from inside, as different people inside began teaching things that didn't line up with the gospel. And so this church was always struggling with those aspects. This church also had quite a history um, the church was planted by Apollos. Uh, we see in Acts that Apollos goes to Ephesus and begins to preach the gospel um, according to John, really. It's the, it's the baptism of John the Baptist. He, pa- Apollos had not yet um, heard of Jesus. He had, he had only heard of John the Baptist. It was at Ephesus that two of um, Paul's disciples grab him, tell him about Jesus, and he began, Apollos begins to plant that then we have paul come along paul comes along he meets some of these believers that apollos had encountered he plants the church he waters the church he really gets it going and he spends three years there which is longer than any of the other church plants that he spends um, and he develops some really impactful relationships with those people you also have timothy who was one of paul's closest uh mentorees uh, Timothy is a pastor there. And then, of course, the Apostle John was a pastor there as well. So this church has quite the lineage of pastors and teachers. This church knew doctrine because people had invested in them. And they had a solid foundation for how to move forward. And so it's into that context that Jesus speaks. Now, all of these letters have certain aspects that they share in common. The first aspect is that they always have a picture of Jesus Christ or a description of Jesus Christ. And so in this, fir- they also have um, a encouragement or a word of um, exaltation for, for them to know what they're doing right. They have a word of rebuke for something that may, they may be doing wrong. Um, then they have a way to correct that. They have a call to repentance. Um, And with that comes also a call of if you do not repent, this is what's going to happen. And then they have a promise for those that endure. And Ephesus, the letter that's written to them here is a picture of all those. Not all of those letters will have those components, but most of them do. All right, so first let's look at verse 1 in that chapter where it gives us the description of Christ. It says, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. If you'll go back to chapter 1, in fact, I would encourage you this week to go back and read chapter 1 of Revelation because it gives you some context for the rest of the book and it also has an incredible picture of our risen Savior. And it reminds us of who he is and the power that he has. But it also, at the end of that chapter, tells us what those seven stars and what those seven golden lampstands are. The seven stars are the seven angels of the churches. Now, there's different... Um, theories on what these angels are. There are many that believe that these are literal angels that they're God's messengers to these churches, that they protect the church in spiritual warfare. They fight on their behalf, and there's some backing to that. There's also a theory that these are the pastors of these churches. Um, you know, nothing like a pastor getting called an angel. I kind of like that myself. But um, good, some of you laughed. I was hope I was worried about that one. Um, But it could be that it's the pastors. It doesn't really matter because the idea here is that Jesus is in control, that Jesus is holding them in his right hand, and he is the one that tells them whether to go left, to go right, to stop, to go forward. It is he that is in control and no one else. And for a church that is constantly bombarded by people there saying, what you are teaching is wrong, our way is better, it is important for them to remember the authority of Jesus. We also have the lampstands, and in in chapter 1, it tells us that those lampstands are the churches themselves. I love that picture of a church. You have the church, the lampstand, holding up all the individual candles, all the individual believers, tying them together, providing them with a place to, to settle and to be where they can shine their light into a dark world that needs it. And so you have these lampstands that symbolize the churches themselves, and Christ is walking among them. He is caring for them. He is fueling them, but he is also observing them. He is the one that can see into the heart of the church and say, this is what's good and this is what needs correction. He has the authority to do that. Just like our own parents have the authority to speak truth into our lives and give correction like anyone else or unlike anyone else, so too Jesus Christ has the authority and the ability to look into our lives as individual believers and as a church and speak truth and correction into our life. And so it's got meaning, it's got depth there. So he has total authority, and he has the authority to speak into us. The second thing that we see in this letter (coughs) is we see a commendation, a word of encouragement, and a word of rebuke. First we'll look at that word of uh, commendation or that word of encouragement. In verse 2 it says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those that are evil. And so the first thing we see is that they worked. They were active, okay? And so this was not a lazy church. This church was about doing the things that they knew they should be doing. They were not sitting in service, just being. And you know what? When I see one of the things that we saw when we were in the process of coming to Vandalia was we saw a church that had a lot of activity. And that encouraged us. We heard about the prison ministry. We heard about Awanas. We heard about the youth group, the shoebox ministry, okay? Many other things that I could go on and share. And we we saw a church that was active. And the encouragement that the Lord gives here is that he sees that. That doesn't come, go unnoticed by him. I think sometimes we forget because of, the way that we often preach and the things we often teach sometimes we kind of come to church with this idea of oh I'm going to be disciplined again oh I'm here for correction again and I hope that's not the case I hope that you understand that God as a good father also sees the things that you are doing right he sees your acts of obedience he sees your activity for the kingdom he is blessing that and he is blessing you for that and he wants to encourage you in Hebrews, it talks about that cloud of witnesses that is cheering us on. We have a cheering section. You know, I always, I've always i been at baseball games. Um, you don't see this as much in St. Louis, but I've been to a Miami Marlins game. And you go to a Miami Marlins game, and they used to play in a football stadium which held 70,000 people, and you know, only 5,000 show up to see the Marlins because the Marlins aren't any good. And you're sitting there, and you're like, this is awful. Like, if I was a player, no wonder I would not play hard. Because like someone cheers and you can hear that individual person. (laughs) Like you hear someone yell an insult and you actually can make it out and point them out in the crowd. It's horrible. But we don't have a small cheering section. We have the King of Kings. We have the Lord of Lords. We have all of heaven cheering us on, encouraging us desiring us for us to go farther and to take the kingdom farther. And so let me be an encouragement this morning. Many of you are active, many of you are doing things for the kingdom, and your father sees that. And he is excited about it and he wants to bless that and have you continue that. A second com- a second word of encouragement here is that they are patiently enduring. Okay? With patient endurance He's not talking about just sitting around. What he's talking about is this church, like I said, they're in the middle of this religious city that is obsessed with all these other things, and this poor church is constantly getting beaten up by these other things. They're getting beaten up by the large Jewish community. They're getting beaten up by the Roman cults. They're getting getting—they're just getting tested at every point. But they are remaining steadfast in the gospel. They are putting their feet on the rock and saying, we're not moving. We're not going anywhere, because we know who we believe in. We know the word that's been given us, and we are going to follow it through to the end. doesn't mean that they're patiently waiting, that they're just sitting there, but it means that they are striving forward, knowing what they believe and who they believe in, and no matter what comes against them, they are going to stay there. That's pretty cool, and that's a picture of a lot of our brothers and sisters all over the world. We need to remember them as well. There are people all over this world that are worshiping this morning, and they are under a threat. It may be a physical threat. It may be a threat of exile from their families. Whatever it may be, we need to remember our brothers and sisters because they are showing us what patient endurance looks like. The next one that we see there is that they have doctrinal purity. It says that in, in that verse, if we go back to it, in 2, it says, but... Um, I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves an apostles or not and have found them to be false later on in the passage it says you have this, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans just as I hate them, now we don't know who the Nicolaitans were, we're we know that they were a um, sect of Christianity that was teaching some things that were unbiblical but what exactly that was is a little fuzzy but we do know this that this church because of Paul and Apollos and John and Timothy and so many others that aren't named had a foundation in the Word that was solid enough that anything that came to them, they held up to the light of the Gospel to see if it was true or not. And they tested it. And if it wasn't true, they discarded it. If it was true, they followed it. And what What a thing to be said about a church. You know the word, and you stick to the word. And when you hear it, you test it, and you make sure that it's true. And I hope that that can be said about us. Um, I've been so encouraged by many of you that have come up and said, Hey, thank you for preaching that lesson, or thank you for talking about that and laying out doctrine. And we're going to continue to do that. But I'm so thankful for a church that encourages me in that. And so be encouraged in that as well. Okay, There's a place for that. We need to be studying doctrine. We need to be testing the things we're hearing. There's a lot of people out there that are preaching a lot of different things. And a lot of it's just junk. And you know what? The Word tells us that's going to happen. They tell us that people are going to come and try to tickle our ears and say things we want to hear. And a lot of it's just junk. And a lot of it we need to run from. And we need to call it what it is. So I hope and pray that the Lord will bless us, that we will continue to walk in good doctrine, continue to test those things that we hear, and make sure that they are from the Lord and not just out there. Okay? Now, that being said, all the encouragement that he gives, he does have one thing against this church. If you look at the next next um, verse, couple verses down, it says in verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned, you have abandoned, the love that you had at first. This, for me, at times hits home. Because what he is saying here is that you have forgotten what I have done for you. You have forgotten the grace that was given to you. And because of that, despite your activity you are doing that activity out of duty. You are doing that activity because you know that's what's expected of you. But you are not doing that activity because of the passion, because of the love that you have for me. You are not doing that activity out of the passion and love for other people, for the love of the church, for the love of the lost. You are doing it because you know that's what's expected. You have a love for doctrine and that's good and that's encouraging, but you don't have a love for the word gotten tied up into the study Well, I think about in Matthew when it talks about love God, the greatest commandment love God with everything mind, heart strength the Ephesians had gotten to the point where they only understood the mind and the strength part, they were active they were not lazy they were smart, they were intelligent they knew doctrine, they knew how to apply it, they knew how to test things but they had forgotten the heart they had forgotten the that should drive those things, that should cause us to want to wake up in the morning and go forward. And he tells them then, okay, you've forgotten this passion. You've forgotten what it's like to be a new believer. You know, I see that. We see new believers come to know the Lord, and we see that fire that they have and that thrill that is part of that comes part of that. And then we look at our own lives, and most of us, myself included, would probably say that I don't see that in my everyday life. Some of us would say, there's times when I don't see that in my worship, when I don't see that in my daily quiet time. And we've allowed, like I talked about with the children, we've allowed that flame to just burn itself out. And we've stopped feeding it. And now we're just a spent lighter. And we can't do much with that. Now, like when it says salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? And so he calls them, and he doesn't leave them there, though. He doesn't say, okay, this is what's wrong with you. Okay, fix it. He tells them, this is how you fix it. And so in the next passage, as we go on on to the next verse, it says in verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So he gives correction. That first correction is to remember. We've talked a lot, whether it's on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday nights, we've talked a lot about telling your story. Sometimes that means telling your story to yourself. When you wake up in the morning of reminding yourself of what he saved you from and how he saved you, of the things that he's done in your life and the things that he is doing in your life, Constantly, because I will, I will bet you everything that if you will tell yourself that story, if you will remind yourself daily of what He did for you and what He is doing for you now, that it will not, it cannot fail to ignite something inside of you. When we sing about the cross and what happened there that his blood ran red and that our sins were washed away, how could we not stand in awe? How can we not be overwhelmed with passion? How can we not be overwhelmed with love for a man who would do that for us? How can we not look at when we do an activity like shoeboxes and we see an impact that it has for the kingdom, how can we not be overwhelmed by it? How can we not thank God that he gives us an opportunity to be a part of that? And so we must remember. And we do that in a collective group as well. It's important that we share those stories with each other as a church. Wednesday night we had a short time of testimony. When you hear of what the Lord has done in someone else's life, it should do the same thing. And so if you are in that desert place, which we all get to at different times, if you feel dry, if you feel like you have lost that passion, be around other believers who are telling their story because it will ignite in you that passion that maybe you've lost. The next thing he tells them is to repent. In losing their passion, that didn't happen on accident. It didn't just from they didn't just stumble into, "Oh my gosh, where's the flame?" They forgot something. They forgot to feed that passion, to feed that flame. They had given up something. Maybe they had left behind prayer. Maybe they had left behind a meaningful quiet time. Maybe they had stopped sharing the gospel because one of the first things that happens when you lose that passion is you don't, you no longer see a need or feel a prompting to share the gospel with others. And all of those things are in need of repentance in your life. So he calls them to repent. And then the last thing he says, to go back to their former works. To return go back to the basics find a time for the, your quiet time find a time to be able to spend in the word and do meaningful meaningful heart searching with it maybe that means you don't get through the three passages you have to get through to get the Bible read in a year I, I, I love the plans that allow you to read the Bible in a year I encourage you to read the Bible through in a year What I have found at times, and I'm in the middle of one right now. We're closing in on the end of it. But if I am not careful, I just check off my three chapters that I have to get done. Sometimes I have to catch myself and say, you know what? I'm stopping here because the Lord is speaking here. So return to that. Return to to prayer. Return to giving him everything. Return to telling that story. Return to the gospel and sharing it with those that need it. And I promise you that if you will do those things, if you will remember, if you will repent, if you will return to the basics, God will open up the floodgates of heaven. He will send the Spirit, and you will find that flame again. And that looks different for all of us. That doesn't mean that you come in here and you raise your hands. It doesn't mean that you come in here and necessarily even smile every time though I would love to see that okay. doesn't mean that you're sharing the gospel with every single person you come into contact with though that would be amazing as well but it does mean that you have a passion and a desire to do those things and the spirit just starts coming out you never know what that looks like in a person the next thing that we see here is a warning and this is the one that i I don't like talking about but we see a warning we see a consequence he says in that verse after he tells them to repent to come back he says in six or sorry in five if not if you won't do these things i will come and i will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent remember what we said the lampstand stood for the lampstand was the church. It was the pedestal upon which the other believers depended upon. So when he says that he's going to remove the lampstand, this is no light thing. When he says he's going to remove your lampstand, he is taking away your ability to influence your community. He is, bu- he is taking away your ability to influence your world. What Christ is saying here is if you refuse to be passionate, if you refuse to repent and come back to me and fall in love with me, you refuse to give me everything and to be what you're supposed to be as a church. We talked about this four weeks ago. What? Why do we exist? What are we supposed to be doing? If we refuse to obey that, then he will cease to bless us as a church and he will remove our influence. And sadly, we see this happening. We think about the statistics that are shared with how many thousands of churches are closing their doors every year. And I believe firmly that it's because they lost the passion and then they wouldn't turn around. They wouldn't remember. They wouldn't repent. They wouldn't return. And God said, okay, that's the way you want it, i taking this away. There is consequence when we don't obey. There's consequence when we don't listen. We learned that as children, but we struggle to remember that as adults. I struggle to remember that as an adult. That there's consequence to those actions. And so if we are not careful as individual believers, as a church, to keep fueling that passion, to keep repenting, to keep remembering, will be a consequence to that. But there's also a promise. And I love that he ends with this. Go down to 7. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. But eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise. It's the picture of our ability to, And the opportunity that we have as believers to spend eternity with him in heaven. What a promise. And what I love about this is this is a direct correlation to Ephesus. He didn't accidentally say this to this church. Because one of the symbols of the church was a date tree. It was on their coins. It was on many of their buildings. It was a sign of life. It was a sign of fertility for the people. And Christ is making a direct correlation and saying, you think a date tree is good, wait till you get to what I have. He's saying, I don't care what you have on earth. I don't care what joys are here. I don't care what pleasures are here. I don't care what you think you have, what you think you own, what things that you take pleasure in. They pale in comparison. They are nothing to what I have in store for you in heaven. They are nothing compared to the tree of life which you are going to be able to eat freely. I love that idea, too. You see in the Garden of Eden, what's the one thing that God forbid them from? tree of life. And yet when we come into heaven, when we come into the new earth, into our new bodies, into perfection, we will be able to eat freely from the tree of life. We will be given a blessing that not Adam and Eve could have had. We will be given a blessing that is beyond our imagination. And so how does this connect to us? Just in closing, we should be active and we should be aware. Remember that encouragement. I hope as you go out of here, you don't just think, wow, that was heavy. Wow, Brian really laid it down today. Well, Brian didn't lay anything down for beginners. But I hope you also remember that the Lord has an encouragement for you to be active. We talked about, when we talked about membership, that we have a responsibility to be here. So if you are here and you are active, you are doing ministry, God sees that. He is proud of you. He is encouraging you. And he wants to bless that, and we hope that you continue. If you're here and you're not active, find a place. It's not hard. You could probably talk to the person sitting next to you and say, hey, what do you do here? Like, what's your thing? And I'm, I'm telling you, more than likely, they're going to be saying, oh, oh yeah, I do Ruanas, or I do this, or I do everything that we have available. I hope that you'll ask that I hope that you'll get plugged in but be encouraged by that we should be aware we should study doctrine we should do all those things I hope that you're encouraged today to continue to do that to continue to dig deep however if we're not careful please remember that we can get overwhelmed by activity we can be overwhelmed by study and it instead of igniting the flame it'll put it out so if this is where we are we're in desperate need to remember of our salvation we're in desperate need to Remember it, to return to repent of the fact that we have not fueled the flame, and to return to those basic works that he's called us to, so that we may see his name glorified in this community, so that we may see his kingdom expanded, not only here, but in this state, in this country, and in this world. He is calling us as a church to do incredible things, and we can't do that with just our minds and just our minds have to do it with a passion that he puts inside of us as well and so as I ask the praise team to come back forward we're just going to enter into a time of response I hope that you take this time just to really ask the Lord what he's trying to show you maybe he is giving you encouragement today maybe he is patting you on the back and that's good I hope that you take time to sit and to worship this morning in his love and his embrace Maybe this morning there's an area where he's opened your heart and he's pointing at something and saying, you need to work on this. You've lost the passion. Will you deal with that this morning, whether you're in your seat or whether coming forward? Maybe you have something that's not related to the sermon at all. Maybe you need to just grab a friend and say, I need you to pray for me. This place is open for that. There's plenty of places here that you can go and pray. Allow us to be the church too. Maybe you're here and you're lost and you, this, none of this makes sense. A passion for Christ makes no sense. Activity in the church makes no real sense. Let this day be a day of salvation. Let one of us explain to you what the Lord is doing and the gift that he's given you. Let's pray and then we can enter into that time of response. Father, we come before you and we're so thankful for everything that you've given us. We're thankful for how you have loved on us. We're thankful for how you encourage us through your word. it's not just a set of rules that it's not just a set of do this do that but rather we know that when we obey you that we have we are in your favor and that you pour out blessing on us and you love on us in a way that no one else can father i pray this morning lord that your spirit would move among your people that we would be real with our father that we would be real with Help us to respond in obedience to whatever you're saying to us as individuals. We pray this in the beautiful name.